Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Got a great show planned for you. May's Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're talking about mental health. Coming up next, we'll be talking about celebrities that have come out discussing mental health, some mental health tips, how we know that uh, we have some work to do, and then also talking about uh, our masks, cleaning them, getting rid of them. How do we know when it's time to throw them away or get rid of them? We're going to be talking about that. It's actually really important. I learned a lot myself from that. Kind of horrified me as well. Uh, talking about some uh, news, as always, uh, mental health news stuff is wacky, wacky. But here's some good stuff. German gymnasts, they're covering their legs to stand against sexualization. They're wearing a full body leotard saying what they were wearing before felt too revealing. And I appreciate that. If they can do what they need to do wearing what they wear um, and legs don't matter, have at it because it doesn't have to be a visual body spectacle. Uh, three members of the German women's team at the European Artistic Gymnastics Championships in Switzerland gained attention for changing their outfits. Unlike everyone else, their legs were covered. I love this. I'm reading this. some quotes. They were full body unitards. Um, bum, 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 bum. They're technically permitted, but usually only worn for religious reasons. And their statement was, we're against sexualization in gymnastics. And this is coming on the heels of a lot of reports of coaches having been sexually inappropriate. And I appreciate that. You know, it's not a beauty contest, and even beauty contests are changing. So I'm not mad at that one. Also, um, a Florida principal came under fire for on video paddling a six-year-old in front of the child's mother. I would have taken the paddle and paddled her back. This is where we talk about how children aren't given any rights. Just because you have power over a child doesn't mean you should be violently attacking them. I'm sorry. If you wouldn't paddle another adult, you shouldn't paddle a child. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's violence. It, just because you're a parent and their child doesn't mean it's not abusive or it's not violent. Um, so we, we need to be getting away from that. And trying to teach someone a lesson with violence doesn't actually teach them a lesson. It makes them afraid. It just instills fear. And then they maybe follow along out of fear, but they haven't actually internalized any true transformation or change. And you've identified them yourself to them as, as a perpetrator and, and a violent individual. So we got to do better than that. Um, we still think it's acceptable in certain situations to poorly treat children and animals, but, um, violence is just not okay. I thought we were getting better moving away from that. So when I see these articles, I'm thinking like, what, what's going on? Um, she was captured on video. This is down in Florida. Um, oh God. Here's a quote from uh, quote from the mother. She said the hatred with which she hit my daughter. I mean, it was hatred really. I've never hit my daughter. Like she hit her. I would never do that. Um, Man, the investigator said that the woman mentioned paddling, the woman mentioned paddling with her and a deputy, I don't even understand that quote. So it doesn't make up any sense to me. Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely, 
I would definitely go to the school board with that one. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any more information. Ah, uh, here it is. Corporal punishment is still allowed in some Florida school districts. Can you imagine that? That it's allowed. If the teacher feels as though she wants to enact brutality and violence on your child, it's uh, still allowed. I don't know if the law allows it, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a mess. Uh, man, she, the parent reached out to the police department. Yeah, I'd follow assault charges. I wouldn't. I can't imagine being okay with someone paddling or, or being violent to a child. Oh my God, that's a mess. And here's a little sex positive news. You remember that movie Basic Instinct that made headlines? Sharon Stone's probably her big claim to fame um, was very erotic and sexually heavy. Well, he's, he's coming back with a new film and uh, never disappoints. It's ready for this one. It's an erotic lesbian nun drama. Like really sit with that. That's a lot, an erotic lesbian nun drama. What does that even mean? God bless creativity and people's ideas. I don't know if he's just trying to push boundaries or if it was really necessary to settle into all those different identities, but God bless it. I'll check that one out. And uh, maybe we'll land on this one, OnlyFans. That um, it's actually was not supposed to necessarily be erotically driven. This is where people can create their own amateur accounts and post amateur videos, a lot of them in a sexual in nature. Um, we know that the profits have been surging and that's because, well, people are losing their jobs. People also aren't paid a living wage or given health insurance at some of their jobs. So people are turning to kind of making more money, making better money. I, I love the stories of people leaving their jobs that underpaid where they weren't given a raise or again, a living wage. And then they go and they make triple and quadruple the amount on OnlyFans and they're buying homes and they're like, I'm good. Now I know that there's my God, that surge is going to make it harder on everyone because there's now so many options that it's going to take away from the fewer people that were on there before. Uh, there's a lot of people that are kind of misusing it that don't necessarily need the money you're getting in there. So it's going to get overwhelmed. But we have already hit in the billions in content and money made off content. Like really sit with that. There now is millions upon millions of users and they're hitting the income of over a billion. And creators are getting anywhere from 50, or I'm sorry, uh, fans pay anywhere from five to $50 a month. So sit with the sheer volume if this platform has hit the 1 billion mark of uh, bringing in income. It's even been referenced in a Beyonce song. I mean, this is like a cultural moment. But again, I want us to look at how it's very sex positive. People should be able to use their eroticism for income. But also, it's for some, it's a failure of the system that these people are turning to it when maybe they don't want to. And those are the people I worry about. Those that are interested in, and want to have at it, live your best life. We have to learn how to encounter sexuality like that. This cultural moment is going to force us to encounter and to normalize that some people do that work and have chosen to do that. I'm all for it. I'm pro-sex worker and decriminalizing. But not everyone wants to do that kind of work and has felt forced into it. And uh, that, for them, is a failure of our system to help them get their needs met otherwise. So there's a lot to learn in that. Um, all right. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about celebrities that have been public with their mental health. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, as we said, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're talking about mental health. I think if nothing else, I just want to normalize, both normalize people discussing the presence of mental health issues, either historically or currently, also the confidence and uh, willingness to discuss one's struggles with the correct terminology, not feeling bad, right? And also getting everyone familiar hearing people discuss their mental health. That's kind of how we create that shift and that necessary change is we do it ourselves and we normalize it culturally. 
And again, I want to remind everyone, it's all happening within the context of all the other factors and isms and intersecting identities and social um, social locations, as we say sometimes, meaning it is gendered, it is racially based, it is also very much tied to respectability politics, right? We've talked about that, the idea that if you're a parent or a professional or even a healthcare provider, that there's an expectation that you're going to not struggle with mental health or there's a certain way you need to be or live or think to be seen as competent. And we have to shatter that. Parents are gonna struggle with mental health issues. Mental health professionals will also struggle with mental health issues. As we're saying, we're normalizing that that is part of the human experience. It's not, are you depressed? It's essentially, how depressed are you? Are you currently depressed? We will all have bouts of depression and anxiety, and we will all struggle with our relationships to different forms of coping. Um, and we're all gonna have individuals in our lives in different places and, 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 and uh, statuses that maybe struggle. And we wanna normalize that. And that's why, again, we're asking the question, how's your mental health, as a way to really let people know that it's okay to actually open up and talk about it. I've been trying to do my part and talking more and more on my social media. I was talking about my seasonal affective disorder. I was talking about um, my severe agoraphobia and social anxiety that I've always had and I've masked it very well throughout the duration of my life and my career. I can travel and lecture to crowds of people when I lecture at the slut walk every year. I'm speaking to anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people. I can do that. But it's these more interpersonal one-on-one -on -one social spaces that really spike my anxiety. I have travel anxiety. So I need special accommodations when I travel. I need special accommodations in social venues. And now as a non-drinker, <clears throat> I don't enter bars or clubs, places that are centered in uh, heavy alcohol use. It's not a, it's not a mentally healthy uh, space for me. And so I have to turn down things that are bar or alcohol related these days. And I really look out for my mental health. And that's what I want to inspire everyone else to do. Whenever I'm asked to do something professionally, my first question is always, or even socially, how will that impact my mental health? Um, I don't just hop on an airplane and fly off. I have to ask for my special accommodations um, and social events as well. You know, where is this being held? Is alcohol a center point? You know, you kind of have to be where you are. So I wanted to just open up by talking about some of the celebrities that have come forward and talked about their mental health. And now this is them coming out on their own. I don't do celebrity gossip. So this is them being part of the movement and disclosing. And celebrities play a really important role in normalizing and setting really cultural and social standards. So I think there's something really important about that. Um, so let's look at some of them. Now, some of these individuals, I, in looking at this, I learned a lot about them. Uh, Kendall Jenner, I'm not that familiar with her, although I know the name. Um, I know essentially that she's from the Kardashian family. I can't tell you much more about her. She talks about having debilitating anxiety. Um, Adele. Adele talks a lot about her relationship to exercise and food. She also talks about her relationship to depression. I also didn't realize she had a child. Apparently she had really bad postpartum depression. Um, and that's also very common for um, an individual to birth a child and to uh, feel a lot of depression or anxiety afterwards, um, sometimes even some suicidality. And that's a normal experience for a lot of people that birth children. Ryan Reynolds came out with anxiety and sleeping issues. Uh, Christy Teigen, I think, is someone who made a lot of news about her postpartum discrimination and depression. And again, the discrimination part is when she publicly came out talking about um, the death of her child, she got a lot of pushback. Um, and that's unfortunate when you're coming out discussing about health issues and you have the public really trying to eat away and erode at that. Uh, who else do we have on here? Demi Lovato has been 
really open about her relationship to bipolar and her relationship to drugs and alcohol. Um, and again, I use those words because I don't use the word addict because again, I think that that's a really stigmatizing term. And I don't think it actually explains the person psychologically or their actual relationship to drugs or alcohol. And that's why I talk about their relationship to it. Um, Cause we all have one and it's gonna ebb and flow and it's gonna shift and change. Um, but there's a multitude of other people. Carrie Fisher came out again, talking about her extreme mental health issues, um, often tied to manic depression and drugs and alcohol. Um, gosh, some of these people I don't even know. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. I think it's important for us to see someone like him, a man, you know, someone who really has marketed himself and performs masculinity in most of his work. Um, he struggles with depression. And we talked about that on last week's show about how maleness, and again, this is where mental health issues are gendered. A lot of men are unable to identify mental health issues or it feels too vulnerable for them to talk about it. They feel as though because of toxic masculinity and gender roles, that that's something that they're not really allowed to have, that it will be a sign of weakness or a failure in being a man or a father, right? So it's really powerful when people like him come out and talk about that. Um, who else do we have on here? Nicki Minaj also coming out, talking about um, having been suicidal at points in her life. Um, suicidality was something that's powerful for her. Amanda Seyfried talking about spending most of her life on Lexapro, battling various mental health issues, including depression. Lady Gaga came out talking about trauma and also depression and anxiety. I mean, this is really profound because you might think people at these levels of success um, might not struggle with the same things that others struggle with. But again, that normalizes. Selena Gomez talking about her anxiety and panic attacks and depression some being a side effect of her lupus. Um, and then who else? And then uh, Zayn Malik. Um, I know he's from a boy band. <laughs> he talked a lot about his own anxiety and his difficulty in being in the industry while doing that. And then finally, we love her, Crystal, uh, Kristen Bell. Talk about her own mental illness, uh, isolation, loneliness, depression, sense of worthlessness. And then of course, her own husband's struggle with his relationship to drugs and alcohol. And both of them tying that all up and saying we're in the public eye and we're also parents. You know, parents can struggle with this and still be competent professionals or competent parents. And that's kind of what I want to close on is the idea just because someone is doing certain things successfully, it doesn't mean that they're not struggling with mental health, right? And I want you to recognize that for yourself. Don't think because I'm being a great parent and, and getting my, you know, work done career-wise that all's well. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about some mental health things. Um, basically tips that we've learned from the pandemic that we're going to apply and take with us post-pandemic. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about mental health tips as inspired by the pandemic. Um, and basically the ones that we want to essentially kind of take with us. Isn't it interesting to think that the pandemic has maybe provided us with stuff that it could have had a post-traumatic growth impact on us? A lot of bad things have happened. Um, trauma does not make you stronger. Any kind of trauma inherently has some you know negatives tied to it, right? It can make you weaker, but there are some things that we can learn about ourselves in the world. Uh, first one is we have to uh, maybe switch around our coping mechanisms. Um, we talked about that on yesterday's show about how coping mechanisms are good and bad. They're anything we use to cope, but sometimes they get in the way and they don't allow us to actually grow and change and ground ourselves. And so sometimes we need to realize that we're over relying upon certain coping mechanisms because it's really about having choice, 
right? If you want to sometimes use food and eat that ice cream, yeah, food can have a very soothing impact. It absolutely can help you cope sometimes. But if you don't have other options and you don't actually have choice and that's when it becomes a trap and that's when it really becomes problematic, right? So we want to be paying attention to that. So we want to switch up and adapt our coping mechanisms as needed. And that's a really important part of self-care um, is because again, ideally that's what we're going for self-care. What are the things that only have a neutral, but most likely positive impact is my coping mechanism, a self-care act, or is it having some negative impacts on me? Right? So again, how you best take care of yourself is an ongoing challenge. But again, we're going to examine what we're using to cope. Also, I hope we move forward as we had to during the pandemic and kind of dropping the bar and going easier on ourselves and those around us. I, I, in a very liberatory, loving way that I hope you all feel is freeing, like feel what it feels like in your body. When I say this, we're not giving a hundred percent anymore and we're not trying to give 110 or 120%. We're given like 70% max. We're, we're doing good enough. And I think that that's mental health. Good enough. Nothing should stress us out. Nothing should burn us out. Nothing is worthy of being burnt out or stressed out except maybe important relationships in your life. But whether we're talking about the gym, whether we're talking about you, uh, the, you preparing and decorating for the holidays, whether we're talking about you know your birthday event or your wedding whether we're talking about your career we're, we're not we're not burning ourselves out this year we're done with that no more grind culture and we're doing about 70 percent. we're doing a level that feels good we're not stressed out we're not exhausted and we're saying yeah that's what i offer to the world my mental health matters and if you're burnt out or stressed out then your mental health isn't being prioritized period and that needs to come before everything else. So we're setting boundaries and we're turning things down or we're setting better expectations on ourselves or on others, but we're also just dropping the bar, you know, and that's how we do that. So we have to dispel some myths uh, that pop culture have out there that have somewhat been implanted by, you know, my industry psychology and somewhat just from cultural norms. But one of them is that dissociation is bad, but sometimes dissociation or denial are healthy, higher levels of coping. They can be good for you, right? We, we love escapism. We need that. And that's an important tool for very difficult times. And we don't want to feel bad and we don't want to feel guilty, right? Um, playing games, reading. Like this is where it comes in video games, reading, knitting, sleeping, whatever it is. We're allowed to take time away from the world. The goal of mental health isn't to be able to face everything. More than likely, a lot of times, there will be things outside of the world that are far bigger than what we have the internal capacities or tools to deal with, right? Denial is an appropriate mechanism at times to back out, to check out, to lean out, right? Um, dissociation, but we wanna be very thoughtful, again, that we're not doing it to our detriment or to the inability to have access to other things, right? That's really, really, really a vital part of that. Also, we're processing and allowing all of our emotions, right? Because here's the thing, we, we can use coping mechanisms or time away, but that doesn't mean that what's been going on or how we feel has been resolved or processed. You know, taking, taking time out and dissociating via, let's say, watching a movie or reading a book for a few hours or a, a great conversation or hike, it's about giving your nervous system a break, giving your mind a rest. It's time off to the side, like sleeping and napping. But at some point, we have to come back and deal with or process what's actually happened, right? Because we are we can move through the world working and working and distracting, but at some point we got to come back to it. So when you're done, whatever your process is, when you're done with your cannabis use, you're done with your cocktail, you're done with Netflix, we have to come back and deal with those feelings, right? We have to give ourselves space, supportive space to process, to grieve, 
right? Like really remember that. There's a lot of grief and loss and it doesn't have to mean that we lost a human being. Grief and loss can be we lost the dream of what we thought was gonna be happy in our lives because we're unemployed, right? We have to maybe grieve and go through the loss of of the travel plans we had that we had to cancel or whatever it is, right? I'm not gonna tell someone that whatever they're grieving isn't worthy of feeling the impact of because you're allowed to have your feelings. That's a huge part of what we're trying to tap back into in the 21st century as we move forward from COVID. We're normalizing that. Again, that's the whole thing where we're saying to people, how's your mental health? We want them to actually take a moment to check in with themselves and to process and to share. Uh, We're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna slide into those DMs and then we're gonna come back and keep talking about what are some of the mental health tips that we've learned from the pandemic that we wanna take us, that we wanna take with us, that we want to make the new normal right? That we want to kind of bring forward. If you've got a DM for us, drop in our Loveline IG page. That's where all the DMs live. But uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be sliding in those DMs talking about what to do when you feel like no matter what you do, it's never enough and you can do nothing right. So stick around and join us. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, next question says, hey, Dr. Chris, how can you tell if your relationship has turned into just a glorified friendship? What do you mean by glorified? I always thought that that uh, caveat was a really interesting term to kind of tack on there. Glorified friendship. I do know what you mean, though. Uh, anyway, how can you tell if your relationship has turned into a friendship? I, I don't know. I'm big on language. Um, we've been together for over two years, and we live together. We have only had sex one time in the last year. My partner tells me, It's their body issues that keeps us from being intimate. But then, in return, I don't feel wanted or needed. We kiss each other maybe twice a day, rarely cuddle. They say I get too hot and I don't want to cuddle with me. And they don't want to cuddle with me. We're best friends. We tell each other everything and genuinely get along. But I'm just starting to think maybe I'm living with my best friend and not my partner anymore. Well, a couple things in there. I don't don't agree that uh, in order for someone to be more than a friend, sex... Uh, or penetration has to be on the table. Every, we, we also have to be very thoughtful about these hardline defined labels. Um, let, me, let me put it like this. You, you live with someone who you feel very close to. You live with someone who's very important to you. Okay, that's great. Whether they're your friend or their romance partner, the label doesn't matter. The question is, how does it feel to be with them and are your needs getting met and are their needs getting met, right? So I don't want to get hung up on is it this or is it that. Let's just look at what it is and what you might need or what might be less, uh, missing. So it seems like you're all you're very functional. Your um, intellectual and emotional needs are met. Great. Um, but you would like more sex than once a year. So instead of getting hung up on are we friends or not, get hung up on I would like more sex and I'm in a monogamous relationship with this individual that doesn't want sex as often as I do. So there's a few things in there. Number one, maybe it's time to ask for non-monogamy because you're actually in a celibate relationship and all you committed to was a monogamous one. You never signed off on celibate, a celibacy relationship. I can't even speak, a celibate relationship. So you have a right to say that that doesn't work for me. So you have a right to lovingly say to your partner, um, it sounds like, as you tell me, that you have body issues and that keeps us from being intimate. Can you help me understand how you're working on that? 
Because the answer can't be, I have issues with my body, so sex is never gonna happen, and I'm gonna hold you accountable to monogamy. You have a right to say, it can't work like that. I'm a sexual being, I want, I want sexuality because it brings me joy, it brings me pleasure, it validates me. I like to feel desirable. I'd like to have sex with you. So I'm willing to hang in there and be monogamous as long as I know you're addressing your body issues because that your limits are my limit if we're in a loving, committed, monogamous relationship. So help me understand how you're working on that and how I can be a part of that. Because part of that work is about leaning into and dealing with the anxiety around sex. So sex can be part of that treatment plan. But if your partner says, no, it just is what it is, and you have a right to say, well, then I'm not, I'm not comfortable honoring monogamy anymore, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna move into non-monogamy, and let's talk about what that means for us. And if that doesn't work for you, well, then maybe we need to part ways and be friends. And if it does work for you, that's awesome. Ethical non-monogamy can be a beautiful thing for partners that have very different sex drives. Um, but you have a right to say to your partner if their mental health issues or their body issues or whatever issues we're talking about, their sex phobia, their trauma, if they're not working on it, you have a right to say, I need you to be because I'm impacted by it. And my, my mental health matters too. It can't just be someone saying, I don't, I, I'm not comfortable with sex or I'm not comfortable with my body. And that's that, right? So you have to advocate and take care of yourself. Um, I say that all the time. Monogamy is for couples that have compatible sexualities, whatever that even means. Um, but you have a right to have a sex life and you've been, you're now in something celibate and that's not something you consented to, right? And so you have a right to push back on that. Look, it's a difficult thing, but again, don't get hung up on the labels. It's not about are we, are we friends or lovers? It's we're in this kind of dynamic. Here's what I need. Here's what you need. Are we meant to continue on in this dynamic? Because no, that does not, it does not sound like you have a glorified best friend. It sounds like you have a intimate partner. Romant, well, somewhat romantic, but definitely not sexual, and you want to work on making it a sexual partnership. But if that's not on the table for the two of you, well, then yes, you are just romance partners. And if that's not good enough, then you should just move into friendship in the most traditionally defined way, you know? All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about some mental health tips, how to know when you need to seek some more professional-based help, and also uh, an update on uh, what we need to be thinking about in terms of our masks. I learned a lot from this. So stick around for that. It was, it opened my eyes. Horrified me as well. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got DMs for us, drop on our Loveline AG page in the DMs and uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down. There I am. All right, y'all. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about tips that we've picked up from the mental health work we've been doing, right? Because y'all been listening to the Love Line. You read my two books, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love. So you've been working on your relationship to your body and your psychology and your sexuality and you're working on your relational health and you're applying all the tools that we talk about on Love Line. And now we're going to kind of, we're doing a recap and we're like, all right, based on everything we've learned, what are these sound bites? What are these mantras? What are these lenses and perspectives uh, that were taken forward with us? So we're getting rid of the word should. Bam. <laughs> you shouldn't anything. There's no such thing as should. Every individual needs something special and different. We are equal, but everyone needs different accommodations based on whatever their mental health needs are. And that's why I hate when it's like, this is the deadline for everyone. This is the rules for everyone. That's not mental health centered, period. The minute everyone has the same expectation, we've left a mental health focus because some people have anxiety. Some people have low self-esteem. Some people have trauma. Some people have depression. Not everyone can get there every day. Not everyone can get there on time. Not everyone can have the same expectation. It doesn't work like that. Teachers shouldn't be saying that everyone has to read their report to the class. Some people that is very traumatic and will reinforce trauma. Unfortunately, some people will arrive late because they're depressed and they, it's hard for them to get out of bed. Like 
again, we have to understand that, yes, everyone has different needs. And it's really hard for people to think in those terms. We really want to be very dichotomous, in or out. You know what I mean? And if you're in, this is what's, this is what's expected. It can't work like that. I need parents. I need employers. I need teachers. I need anyone in positions of power to understand that everyone needs something different. It's, and even me working in the field, it's hard for me as a white, as a cis white man, as a cis white man doctor in the mental health field in our culture, it's hard for me to sometimes say, unfortunately, I have to let you know what I need. Or unfortunately, that doesn't work for me because of my anxiety, because of my depression, because of my agoraphobia, because of traumas. But we have to be able to ask for what we need. That's called setting boundaries. That's called self-esteem. Bigger than that, it's mental health. So we really need to start asking those questions. What does this individual need or what do I specifically need? And when you step in and ask for that or set those boundaries, it calls attention to that. To that. It, it, it supports and normalizes that for others. But we're getting rid of the word should, okay? You are where you are, right? We shouldn't be feeling guilty or bad about what we think is supposed to be happening, right? Mental health is about getting out of these rules and regulations and conformity and assimilation and living in a liberated, authentic way based on who and what you are and shoulds pull us out of that. There's no grand narrative of a should that should or can apply to everyone. You know what I mean? Bam. All right, moving on from that one. Uh, what else do we need to take with us? Um, slowing ourselves down, taking things one at a time. I think that's something that we're getting a little bit better about. The world has kind of forced us into that. Um, I love this one. We're not, this is a stolen uh, statement. Don't gratitude shame yourself. I love that. It's okay if you don't have any gratitude. I love the use of gratitude lists for those that do need to remind themselves that everything's not all bad, but sometimes maybe it is, or sometimes it's okay to be living or leaning into what is bad and what's going wrong, right? That's part of, again, mental health. And so be where you are. We don't need to gratitude shame ourselves because then we're moving into toxic positivity, the idea that you always need to find the bright side or the silver lining and you always need to have a smile on your face. That's not mental health. Mental health, again, is feeling a full range of emotions deeply. Sometimes you're like, I'm depressed and I'm gonna be depressed because I am depressed and I don't need to be anything other than depressed. Or yeah, I'm anxious and it's okay that I'm anxious. Let's normalize that, right? I don't need to look for the bright side or feel good or put a smile on my face. That's people pleasing, right? That's toxic positivity. That's actually making it about those around you, not actually about the person who's struggling. It's okay, right? Not everyone right now is feeling good or safe or happy or getting their needs met. And that's a real thing, right? Pulling all these different points from different places. Another point that came up that I thought was really great, and this was something that was discussed and we talked about it here uh, in the beginning of the pandemic and then kind of in the middle is creating things to look forward to. What are you getting up for? What are you working towards? We like goals are good. It frames things. It gives us something to think about. It gives us something to move towards because some people are feeling like they're just kind of floating, right? Like they're not necessarily grounded. Um, and also taking advantage of resources and community, you know, and that's where people get frustrated with the word self-care because it, 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 they feel as though it's victim blaming and it puts everything on the individual uh, to, to work through work with and to cope um, with all the things that are happening outside of us. And they say, we need more community care. And I agree with that. We should be looking out for each other, right? How can we care for those around us? And I think that that's important. Um, and it's actually was brought up. I was watching this show on the couch one night. What would you do? It's a 2020 show. And I thought it was really stunning because it was a powerful example of community care. People stepping in to a, a mother struggling with postpartum depression and giving her tips and tools. I saw a woman even give her a number to a stranger saying, I've been through this, reach out, I'll help connect with resources. That's community care. 
it would have been very shaming to think about self-care and say, oh, ma'am, just go home and take a bath and your postpartum depression will just go away. No, she needed people to normalize, to support, to be in it with her. So I love things like that. Like, let's, let's, let's do community care. Let's be in it with people. Let's, let's actually be part of their process, even if we don't know them. Like, what a stunning concept that we can rely upon those around us. Again, we used to. Right, we it, it's we continue to move more deeply in a toxic way of this rigid individuality where you only worry about yourself or your family or your neighborhood or your state or your country. Those are all arbitrary, and that's just othering. And it's really this false sense of isolation because those are arbitrary boundaries. All of those. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break, and uh, we're going to talk about how do I know if anxiety, depression, and a lot of these mental health struggles are normal and and just part of the human condition. How do I know when it's actually though becoming a problem and I need to seek help? We're gonna talk about that. So uh, stick around, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and I think that this was a really important topic to touch upon is, you know, I'm saying, and it's true, that part of mental health is not about the absence of struggles mental health is about the ability to feel our feelings to have coping mechanisms the ability to self-regulate to be healthy within our relationships so if depression's normal and anxiety is normal how do we know though when we should be worrying how do we know when maybe it's a little bit more of an extreme issue how do we know when it's become clinical and i think it's important to talk about right um, this general time has not been great for many of us and so there really is a question of what's pandemic specific what's just more of your baseline prior and, and post and what is maybe pandemic specific that has become an individual's new normal psychology taken kind of with them. I felt some massive shifts that feel a little more permanent that I'm going to be kind of working with and working through as we um, kind of move forward. So, um, you know, we're all kind of, most of us anyway, are feeling it. You know, we got sadness, we got some anxiety, we've got anger. We might not be comfortable with the way we're sleeping or our relationship to food or drinking or drugs or games and movies. And a lot of that, again, has been really healthy. We're just kind of being where we are. We're, we're not using words like lazy. I hope we never use words like that again. You're allowed to rest. You're allowed to be disinterested. You're allowed to give 60 to 70%. That's not lazy. We're not here to just work and produce. We're allowed to be focusing on pleasure and resting. Um, but there might be times when you realize, well, maybe my mood issues, my anxiety, my depression might actually require treatment. I might benefit from the help of medications or you know talk therapy. Um, so some of this is normal reaction. So I do want to remind you all that we can normalize a lot of this, but the usual difference between feeling depressed or anxious and actually having a disorder is a real distinction, right? For instance, if we're talking, um, directly about, uh, depression, right? If you're persistently, like there's the key term, it's a qualifier. If you're persistent, persistently sad, persistently anxious, persistently feeling like you have a low, flat, or empty mood, if you're persistently feeling hopelessness, fatigue, irritability, dis, you know, dis, um, difficulty concentrating, um, anhedonia, which is you no longer feel pleasure in the things that used to provide pleasure for you, certain activities or hobbies, your eating's off, your sleeping's off, and this is ongoing and it's feeling a little bit different, then it's possible that you might have a true disorder right outside of just the context of normal life or what's happening. Um, and also the same thing for talking about generalized anxiety. 
if you are, if it's feeling excessive and persistent, right? Fatigue, restlessness, constant worry, constant muscle or body tension. Our body's a really good barometer. If you're constantly feeling stressed and tense and depleted, struggles with concentration, that might be a part of it. We also have to pay attention to duration and intensity, right? Length of time and to what extent. So usually these diagnoses require a month's worth. If we're talking about, you know, more generalized anxiety um, disorder that's not necessarily driven by anything you can locate, usually they would clinically want to see this excessive ongoing for at least six months. Uh, major depression, it would mean symptoms most of the day, almost every day for at least about two weeks. So really hear those qualifiers, right? Um, and again, in traditional everyday standard times, that might be a little clearer, but, uh, right now it's a little more hard to flush that out because there's a lot of things that are going on that are worthy of individuals kind of struggling in those ways. Um, you know, worrying about jobs, money, uh, being challenged in terms of housing, people passing. Um, so again, if your symptoms have been dragging on for weeks or especially months, um, most days, then that's a sign that you definitely should absolutely seek help, you know, and again, the state of the world's tough. And so when in doubt, reach out and get some help from a mental health professional that can help you kind of really nail that down. Um, and another thing you want to pay attention to is, is it getting in the way of your ability to participate in all the important things in your life, whatever those things are, you know, is it really not allowing you to show up that anxiety or that depression or whatever we're talking about, right? And again, we have some normalized fear of socialization and leaving the house, but you got to check in on that. Um, also, if you feel like things are worsening, right? There's something about severity. Now, when we talk about things being severe, again, we want them to be getting in the way of your day-to-day -day life, right? Um, and if you're struggling with things like basic self-care, right? And when we talk about basic activities of daily living, ADLs is what we call them in the field, we look at that, uh, getting dressed, showering, hygiene, feeding yourself. Those are things we really want to look at. So if you're struggling to get out of bed and to, and to focus on hygiene, you most likely need help because usually that's the bare minimum that people are able to at least find the uh, motivation and energy to do. And if you're not, then it's probably clinical, right? Any form of suicidality or self-harm, I'd absolutely want you to immediately reach out though. That's a sign that things are probably gone too far. So definitely if that's happening, check in. Um, but I don't want anyone to panic. This is just about getting the conversation started. And as you say, you know, and again, do some more research. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of people just Googling everything, but there are some good resources. And when in doubt, reach out to a mental health care professional and say, hey, I wanted to check in. These are feeling, feeling worse than normal. It's getting in the way of me taking care of my activities of daily life, right? It's um, getting worse or more severe. You know, it's, it's not, I'm no longer feeling happy or grounded in my life in ways that I normally would. That's what you want to be checking in and worrying about. But I don't want people to panic because like I said, what the difficult thing is there's a lot of things going on right now that are very much worthy of people feeling anxious or depressed. So is it contextual? But even if it is, that doesn't mean that talk therapy or medication can't help us get through that. You know, they're allowed to be an adjunct to, um, cause not everything's going to be resolvable, right? Especially again, if we're talking about based on the context of what's going on around us, it's a funky, funky, funky time. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Over here trying to drink my coffee and also move my phone. Um, the whole key is to just really, 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 really use the rest of our time in this year 
to kind of set some goals as to how we want to finish this time off and to do our best to come out of this uh, at least neutral or better, or at least with some connections and resources uh, to push ourselves forward. So we'll keep talking about that. Um, all right. When we come back, we're going to talk about our COVID masks. Uh, I checked in on this once before. I'm going to give you a daily reminder. How do we know when it's time to change our masks? I had disgustingly not, I had been using the same one. I do remember to wash it often, but this is a reminder for all of us. So stick around. We're going to talk about it. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, it's kind of like a little bit of a helpful public service announcement. I'd realized through living my life and going to the gym, I'm vaccinated. Uh, they're following protocols over there, cleaning and distancing and watching the numbers of people in there. And we're all keeping our masks on. Um, I realized like I wasn't keeping up with the hygiene of my masks. And I had forgotten that for at least weeks well into the early pandemic. And then I shared with you all an article about like cleaning and you know replacing our masks. And I thought, what a good reminder because I hadn't even been paying attention to that. And I've been pretty good about things like that. So we're going to be talking about how do you know when you should replace your mask, right? Um, how do you know when you're not really protecting yourself or someone else, or maybe just like keeping it dirty and it's pressed up against your face. So some of them are reusable. Um, and that's going to be the best tool. If you can get reusable ones and you can afford them and you have access and you can just wear them and throw them away, that's going to be the best bet. Um, disposable surgical masks. Then there's more eco-friendly ones, right? Um, but apparently, based on some research I did, the more eco, some of the eco-friendly masks, they're less effective at blocking out the coronavirus. Um, because what can happen is if you're re repeatedly washing it and wearing it, you're wearing it thin. Um, isn't that interesting? I had never considered that, that the, cl the cleaning process, whatever method you use, could be eroding at the efficacy of its uh, protection. Um, so it's important to look for signs that the mask is no longer safely filtering out the respiratory droplets that carry the virus. Bam. Um, man, this is, these are the things we got to think about in the new world, right? So things that let you know it's time to get rid of it, the straps are worn out. That's important. You want it to be holding it tightly and flush across your face, right? So it's not always about the fabric of the mask itself. It's the elastic ear loops or ties. That's where the experts claim you're going to first see signs of wear. Um, especially if you put it in the dryer, like I do with mine. I throw it in the washer, I throw it in the dryer. Uh, and then the, the the cleaning products matter. So here's a quote. The biggest thing to watch out for is the straps to keep the mask in place. If these ties become loose or stretched, you need to stop using it straight away because if the mask isn't fitted properly to your face, you could be putting yourself and others in danger of COVID. If you've been wearing your mask for a while and the fit's loosening, replace it. <laughs> Oh my God. All right, so I have one I definitely need to get rid of. Because again, they say they want you, it's supposed to fit snug under your chin, across the cheeks, and across the nose. There shouldn't be any gaps. Because again, we're trying to prevent air and droplets. Oh my gosh, the things we learn, the things I've learned about viruses. Um, if there's any exposed threads, tears, or holes, get rid of it. Never use a mask that has rips in it. They say the virus can enter and exit that way. Because again, we're protecting others and protecting ourselves. If the mask is stained, coffee spills, makeup, um, that can be a sign that it's getting worn out. Here's a quote. If the mask is visibly soiled and washing does not remove the stain, probably time to toss it. Stained mask has probably been overused and so shows that it needs to be replaced. It's pretty good. Um, if the fabric has worn thin, uh, some of the materials are made thinner the more you wear them, the more you wash them, the more you use them, and that provides a weaker barrier to the transmission. I never thought about that. It's kind of a no, I, I appreciate how obvious that could be to some holes, gaps, bam, get rid of it. Um, they said you can probably tell if the cotton mask has become thinner by the look and feel. 
I love this. Here's a quote. A way to test is to try blowing out a candle with your mask on. If you're able to blow it out, the mask is not effective at protecting you. Why? Clearly, the air can get very quickly out in a robust enough way to blow out a candle. Yeah, that's actually really important. Or even maybe just put your hand in front of your face. Can you feel the air? But try blowing on a candle. Man, that's a good one. Um, Also, check to see whether you can see through the fabric or outside in colder temperatures if your breath is visible. Again, if so, air is getting through. If it can get out, it can get in. (laughs) I'm learning so much. Here's another one. If you can hold the mask up to the light and you can see through it, probably too thin to be effective. Oh my gosh, there we go. So blow through it and hold it up to the light. Check for tears. Is it stretching? Does it stay tight on your face? Also, they say a lot of these come with washing instructions. Make sure to follow the best care as provided with the product. That makes sense. Um, Probably they say it's best to wash it by hand and allow it to air dry. We know washer dryers can really, you know, beat up something. Um, They also said invest in laundry mesh bags can help protect it. Um, Wow, here's another good uh, takeaway. If you've washed the mask more than 30 times, it's a pretty fair number, 30, but uh, washing it will stretch the fibers in a lot of fabrics. Um, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, they advise a guideline of 30 washes or 30 wearings. So the number 30, if you've washed it 30 times or worn it 30 times, it's time to get a new one. So if you've worn, yes, yeah, so that's about, you know, just in terms of wear, if you've worn it every day for a month, every month you need a new one is what that's really implying. So yeah, typically 30 washes or 30 wears is a good rule of thumb if it's a high quality mask. So if it's a lower quality, it's not even gonna survive 30 washings or 30 wears and you'll test it by looking through it, tugging on it, blowing through it. But um, yeah, man, because traditionally these fabrics will lose their shape, elasticity, and thereby their effectiveness. Man, the things we gotta think about. But that's a good reminder. It was a good reminder to myself. I'm actually during the break gonna go check on my mask. I have a couple, um, but um, yeah. 30 wears or 30 washings. That was the most profound one for me. So, all right, very cool. Uh, Coming up next, DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can always do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. Bam, there they all are. So stick around and join us. Like I said, when we come back, DMs, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, love listening to your show and all the advice you give. I was wondering if you could give me some advice about a situation with my daughter. She's 16, has had boyfriends in the past, but now she's bringing home more and more girls, which is fine. I applaud you for that. We want to be supportive of whatever our children are, um, whoever our children are, you know, and the journey that they're on. But, dun, 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 she shuts down every time I try to talk to her. Last week, I overreacted and said that if she doesn't talk to me about what's going on, then she isn't allowed to bring anyone over anymore. I just want to know what's going on in my own house. Did I completely mess this up? Um... Well, you temporarily messed it up, but it is salvageable. Remember, how we respond and engage our children or other individuals will dictate how safe they feel being honest with us or being intimate and sharing and disclosing. So we have a role in that. And if you're not seeing things the way you want them to be and you overreact and uh, say you can't bring people over anymore, then you're presenting as unsafe to be gone to with 
you know, important, powerful information. I know it's hard to stay calm when our children are telling us something we don't want to hear, but everything we say and do in response communicates whether or not we are safe and whether or not they will come back and tell us. There is a way to still hold them accountable and to set boundaries while still being calm and safe and loving and approachable, you know? But you, what I would really recommend doing is taking accountability for it. Hey, um, you say to your daughter, I'd love to talk for a quick second. I'm, I'm not feeling great about how I responded. I overreacted and I want you to feel safe having people over because you live here. And um, I want you to know that I'm gonna work really hard on being calmer when you come to tell me things because I want you to feel safe coming to me. I wanna be a resource for you. And then you can also just be transparent. It's really hard to sometimes not be a part of your life and to know what's going on. But you'll say as well, I understand that you're gonna have boundaries at times. I'm still your parent and I know that you're gonna want boundaries and privacy and you have a right to that, you're gonna tell your daughter. And so please just know that I'm gonna be working on being better when you come to me and I'm here if you wanna talk. Because maybe your daughter doesn't wanna bring you into every aspect of her life. She gets to have privacy and boundaries. She's a person, I don't care what their age is, they still get to have boundaries and privacy. Whether we're married, we get to have that. Whether it's a family member, whether it's a child, right? Boundaries are taught and practiced at home. So I'm not really sure what you're worried about when you say what's going on in my house. Um, if you do have a concern that something uh, dangerous or illegal is going on, well then, yeah, bring that up and in. Hey, I wanna make sure that nothing dangerous or illegal is happening. I'm responsible for everything that occurs under my roof. So can we just talk about the kinds of things that you're, you're engaging in, right? And you have a right to have some involvement and awareness of that, of course. Um, she's only 16, my God, when I was 16, the things I was trying to do. But again, my parents were great about saying, look, we're not gonna agree with everything you're doing and we're not gonna support it. And we're gonna sometimes disappoint you and frustrate you by telling you absolutely no, and that's not gonna happen here. However, we're not gonna judge you, we're not gonna name call, and we're not gonna punish, but we're gonna set boundaries within our house and we're gonna help you learn how to do that and how to like bump into them and take care of yourself, you know? So it's not as black and white, but um, you, de you definitely need to go back and clean that up a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure again what you're worried about, but let her know you're worried. And uh, let her know that you're working on it. That's how we let. That's how. That's how we let people know that we're safe. Is just apology, accountability, and we need to get out of these power structures. It doesn't matter if you're the parent. Everyone still is worthy of respect. And if we're not giving that respect to others, then they're not going to respect us. Period. Right? It doesn't matter whether we're a parent or not. Uh, we have to get away from this power. These power plays. Um, she's 16. I'm gonna assume you have a lot of really important information and wisdom you can share with her. And I love the fact that you don't care if she's dating boys or girls. That's amazing. That's another way that you're showing her, I'm here for you and I love you for who you are. And you're saying to your daughter, your job isn't to make me happy, right? Um, so clean that up <laughs> and uh, hang in there because it's not gonna be immediate necessary, it's not necessarily gonna be immediately uh, an immediate positive response or the kind of response you want, you know what I mean? But I think this is good that you're willing to do this, so. All right, so if you got a DM for us, you can drop it in our Loveline AG page in the DMs. And uh, you know, May, Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're gonna be, you know, debunking myths around some mental health diagnoses tomorrow. We'll be talking about bipolar disorder as well as how to better manage our social media around our mental health, so join us for that. And as always, if you got a DM for us, please send it to us, we're here to help you, whatever it is. Someone else might be wondering or worrying about that. Um, hope you're focusing on tons of self-care. Remember, self-care, 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 tons of joy and pleasure, tons of rest, and uh, community care as well. We are responsible for those around us, our friends, our family members, our neighbors. We're all in it together, so look out for each other. Thanks for hanging out, and y'all enjoy the rest of your night.